Well, good morning, everybody. Good, uh, good morning, Zeb. Yep. Good morning, everybody. Great to have the kids in here this morning. A lot of them are mine, or at least just four of them uh, over there. So nice to have you guys here. It's great to see you again. It's been really fun to be here for a couple of weeks. Uh, this is our fourth week and kind of the end of this little mini series on the Sermon on the Mount. And um, man, it's just one of my favorite passages of Scripture. I think it's just such an amazing uh, such an amazing insight into kind of what God cares about, what's on his heart, what Jesus thinks is kind of the most important. And today we sort of reach the climax of that. Like here's, this is the end of his sermon, right? Like you save your best point, you know, usually towards the end if you're a good preacher. I don't know if I actually do that very well, but if you're a good preacher, come next week. You'll see how, you'll see how it's done. But, but, uh, but Jesus at the end, he really says, look, this is really what it's about. We've been talking a lot about the heart and how Jesus is, is very concerned with the attitudes of our hearts and that sin is kind of love bent in on ourselves uh, instead of love bent out like God's love and uh, just a, a lot of really fun stuff to talk about. Um, uh, if you missed any of it, just go read Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's amazing. You will not be disappointed. It will not be a waste of your time. Um, it, it's, I, I'm always amazed every time I spend time in God's word how life-giving it is. And I'm always like, why am I not doing this more? <laughs> I don't know if you guys have that experience. But I, I'll read it, and I'm just like, wow, this is so valuable. And it's just sitting here in my house. And like, I have like 10 copies of the Bible in my house. You know. And, and so I just encourage you guys to come and, and take a look at this. Uh, but for now, if you want to start turning to Matthew 7, again, we've kind of bitten off more than we can chew, but we're going to look at the, the chapter of Matthew 7 today, which is the last uh, chapter of, of the Sermon on the Mount. And since we got kit, man, I wish I would have prepared a little differently uh, I want us to start talking about magic tricks today. That man, we could have really done something great this morning with, with the magic tricks. My kids can tell you I'm very, very good at magic tricks. Is that, okay, there's mixed, mixed results over there. <laughs> Don't look at them, just keep your eyes up here. Um, but, you know, love the card tricks, love doing little things, little sleight of hand here and there. <clears throat> it's a really fun way to, way to uh, in, engage with kids. The key, of course, as you know, to any good magic trick is never tell anybody how you do it, right? You never, you never tell them the answer. You never, give, you never give away the secret. And here's why. It's not just, it, it, here's why you never give away a secret. Because as soon as you do, they're like, oh, that's all you're doing, right? Like, that's really lame. Like, I thought you had like a power or something. Like, I thought you had something special going on. Really, you just kind of, you know, sleight of hand. You just tricked me. But, but we love this because what we love about the idea of magic, right, is that we love the idea that somebody has some sort of like really special gift, you know, or, or some sort of really special ability that we've never seen before, you know? This person, act, no, I, I seriously saw it. In fact, I remember a friend of mine and I, we had this, this magician come to uh, some events that we were at, and he was drinking from this glass bottle kind of while he was talking. It was this big glass bottle. And at the end, he puts it in a brown paper bag, crinkles it up, and throws it over his shoulder, right? And we we're just like, whoa, did you see? Like, you know, everybody's like, did you see that? You know? And we're just amazed. Like, how did he do that? Where did the glass bottle go? Like, how do, how do you crinkle up a glass bottle? This guy is gifted. This guy has something special. 
And this has been something, this is something that we, we, you know, as humans, we just love this kind of stuff. And I started thinking of all the examples of these things. And I, I was thinking, man, for like uh, 1,900 years, people pursued the fountain of youth, right? 1,900 years. Like in, in, in the third century BC, um, you have people writing about it and you get all the way to when like, uh, what's his name? Uh, Ponce de Leon in the 16th century. He's like in Florida because he heard that it's there. You know, he's like looking around in Florida. In fact, a lot of old people go to Florida looking for, well, okay. Um, but he's in Florida looking for this thing because he's like, man, if there really is something I can wade into and come out on the other side with youthful vigor, like who wouldn't want that, right? And there's the Holy Grail, you know, like this is the cup Jesus drank from on, on, on the Last Supper. And, you know, there's so much power in communion. So if, if we could actually get the cup, you know, and then it turned into Joseph of Arimathea actually collected Jesus' blood at the crucifixion in this cup too. So it's like a double, it's like a double cup. And so all the way through in, in the 11th, 12th, and 13th century, literally people are spending money, like, go find this thing, right? Like, let's head to Israel. It was part of the Crusades. Like, it was part of why people were heading down there. Um, in, uh, in the late 80s, we kind of have something, and I, I'm, not, I'm not throwing this out. Hopefully it's true. But these two scientists, have you guys followed any of, like, the, the cold fusion stuff? It's this idea that, hey, with a bucket of seawater and a, a birthday candle size piece of palladium, we could power Renton for like months, you know, for free. No, no unhealthy side effects, no, no, uh, no waste, you know, no, no anything. Like it's, it's seawater and a little piece of metal. Um, and people are like reproducing this all over the place. And it's like, man, how do we do this? Our future with cold fusion, it'll end poverty, it'll wipe out. I mean, man, it's great. I hope we figure it out, right? Like, but it's just this idea, like there must be a trick to all of this. Um, and that's the idea, it's, it's all magic, right? It's all magic, it's bypassing the rules. It's suspending the order of things and, and, um, and, and finding somebody who has the power to kind of unlock the secrets. You're, we're, it's, it's manipulating reality, right? The, the, the sorcerer's stone or the philosopher's stone, if you're a Harry Potter person or, or if you lived in the Middle Ages. <laughs> and wanted to turn things into gold. It's like, there's, there's this stone out there that you could turn things into gold. Um, and part of me thinks, man, I'm so glad we live in an age where no one believes any of this stuff anymore, right? And then you watch like a commercial, you know? And it's like, get rich quick, all you gotta do, you know? All you gotta do to lose 50 pounds and keep it off forever and, and re, you know, regain the vigor of your 20s is, you know? And it's like all of this stuff, and it's like, actually, we may have more of this stuff around now than ever. Like, it's, it's constant. It's this constant idea that there's some special piece of knowledge, some secret piece of information, and if we just had it, or if we just had this way, or if we just had this certain kind of, I don't know, natural remedy, like, all of our issues would go away. <laughs> um, we're dealing with it today. C.S. Lewis uh, Seems to always have something good to say, but he says, um, there's something which unites magic and applied science and technology of today that separates them from the wisdom of the earlier ages. For the wise men of old, the main problem of human life was how to conform our souls to objective reality. 
And the solution was wisdom, self-discipline, the virtues. But for magic and applied sciences and technology alike, our real problem is how to subdue reality to the wishes of ourselves. And the solution is in some sort of technique, right? So it's like our job to sort of like work on manipulating ourselves into, rea- into what's true, into what's reality. I would say into God's order, into God's purposes, into God's plans, into his design. Or is it our job to manipulate his purposes, plans, and design for our own gain? Does that make sense? It's a big deal. And I think, and I think like Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, it, 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 hits this, it hits this issue square. He doesn't talk about magic here or anything like that, but he talks about a few troublesome barriers, right, to, to flourishing in God's kingdom and flourishing with his design. And he kind of gets to the heart of it here at the end, and I'm just going give, to give all of it away here. Like, um, but he basically says, this is Matthew 7 in a nutshell. He's like, don't judge people because you're not the ultimate like, holder of what is good and true, right? Uh, and then he says, but you should trust the Father because he is good and true. And then he says, and don't listen to a whole bunch of false people who are disagreeing with the Father because they're not the sources of truth either or of life. And then he basically says, listen to me because I'm the source of life. <laughs> that's Matthew 7. I mean, that, that's it. We can go home. We can be done. But that's, that's the nature of what, what, what he's saying here. It's like, where is the actual source of life, right? And are we drawing on that or are we drawing on something else? Um, so let's look at it. Let's, let's read this together. Um, our invitation this morning is, is really, look, I'm encouraging you guys. Ultimately, we have to trust Jesus. Ultimately, we have to trust his trajectory. But I'll let you, uh, you, you hear it uh, with your own ears. Let's, let's look at Matthew 7, and we're going to read the first uh, six verses here. Jesus is speaking, Do not judge, for you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when the whole time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll be able to see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Don't give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Wow. Um, So this idea, don't judge. You're actually not the center of reality. (laughs) right? I t- that's actually kind of freeing to me. Like when I hear that, I'm like, okay, good. Like I, I don't have to have every single answer and-, and know every single thing. But this is sort of what is expected of us now, right? I mean, see- especially in Seattle. I mean, Seattle is the hotbed of like independence, independent thinking, independent action. It's the, it's the uh, nice ice of Seattle, right? Like we're really all here sort of to pursue our hopes and dreams um, there was a guy, um, Fred Moody, who used to be like an opinion writer, I think, for the Seattle Times for years and years. But he wrote a book of Seattle history called Seattle and the Demons of Ambition. And it's kind of a weird book, but it's interesting because he says, basically, everyone who came to Seattle was really just leaving somewhere else so that they could just be by themselves. <laughs> like, like, that's what Seattle is. It's a bunch of people who are like, I was super successful in Chicago, but I kind of didn't like all those people, so I'm just heading out west, you know? 
or I'm gonna go make it rich, quick rich like up in Alaska and come out here, leave everything behind, come out here by myself and, and make a name for myself. And, and it's kind of this idea that we, we literally were like up in the corner, right? And, and people have come here to sort of get away. Um, and what I, what I realized is, you know, in, in order to kind of have this position, Jesus says, don't judge others because in the same way you will be judged, right? He's inviting us into a different way to think about this. He's saying, if you put this, this ability to sort of judge and um, if you put the ultimate clarity on your own shoulders, what will happen is you'll have to bend reality <laughs> because it's not true, right? Like, it's not true that you're the ultimate reality. And so what you have to do is you have to start doing things that sort of warp that. So you start developing some strange behaviors, right? Um, we deal with this a lot. At Union Gospel Mission, we're working with folks who have drug addiction issues, alcohol addiction issues, and then especially in our men's program, once we get through those, we realize the real issue is actually pornography, and then we kind of work through that, and then it's like, and actually food is a major issue, and then we kind of work through that, and they're like, and actually money is a major issue. It's like unending, right? Like all of this stuff, we just kind of keep barricading like, wow, uh, I see that I have a blind spot here. Maybe I'm not the ultimate reality. I guess I'll build a wall here, right? I see I have a blind spot over here, I guess I'll build a wall here. And ultimately, we close ourselves off and we become isolated because we want to trust ourselves. There's a great, there's a great movie, um, does anyone remember the old, it's an old Harrison Ford movie, The Mosquito Coast? Did anyone ever watch this? Some of you were like, okay, one person. Man, now I don't wanna give it away. You guys should watch this movie, but I'm gonna give it away. Um, uh, so what it is, I won't give it ultimately away, maybe. Um, but Harrison Ford, he's this inventor. He has this farm. They can't really pay for the farm because all these inventions, they like haven't quite hit it big yet. You know what I mean? Like he's made all these machines and stuff. And it's like any moment I'm going to be a billionaire. So like we'll just kind of keep putting the bank off. And, <clears throat> and he doesn't. And then he starts kind of not totally telling the tr- truth to like his wife about their financial situation. And then one day he's like, all right, family, let's go. We're going we're gonna to go start our own society right? Like, because we can do it. So he's actually also being chased by tax people and everything else. But he leaves, he goes to this island, and he literally starts his own society. He's building, he, and there's this one huge scene where he creates a machine that actually makes ice, you know, and it's like this really big deal. And, and, but by the end of it, like, he has so many blind spots, and he's so driven to be completely independent, right? That his own family is like terrified of him. Like, his own children are terrified. They're like, I can't, like, I don't. And so at the end of the movie, it's kind of like the mom kind of has this decision. Do I agree with the false reality that my husband is living in? Or do I get out of here? Like, I mean, that's kind of what she's confronted with at the end, right? And I won't tell you how it ends. Um, It's 1983. I mean, there's a lot of good movies back then. You just, you know, get on it. Um, And so... This, I mean, does this sound like maybe some of your relationships, <laughs> maybe some of your family relationships or, or whatever? It's like, we can be in relationship with you if we sort of suspend reality, but um, is there something maybe beyond you and I that we could maybe look to as, as something that could guide us, you know? <clears throat> Harrison Ford wants to be the ultimate center of truth, and Jesus is kind of saying, this is a bad idea. Um, remember the Beatitudes, uh, Matthew 5, 
the very first one, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So how, do we, how should we orient ourselves into the world? With humility. Like Jesus is saying, it's humility. It's those who are poor in spirit. It doesn't mean they're weak people. It means they, they're just aware of their weakness. Like they're aware of their inability to be the center of all things. And he's like, blessed are those, those people because they're the ones who will actually inherit the kingdom of God. Those are the ones who actually will get what I'm about and get my purpose and get my desire and, and get my plan and my purpose. Um, uh, uh, Pastor Eugene Cho said one time, it really took me off guard. He was talking about having great faith and doing all these things. He's a super inspirational speaker. And then he said, and Jesus even promised that if you had faith, you could move mountains. And he goes, and I think I'm that mountain, right? <laughs> like he, he actually had the humility to apply that to himself. He's like, maybe I'm the mountain God actually wants to move. Like I keep trying to do all this stuff out there. I keep trying to manipulate reality from my center of, of purity, but maybe actually I have this backwards, you know? Um, it's a powerful thing. Um, so Jesus is, is orienting his disciples here, and he says, don't judge, but have humility and have hope. And then we go into the next section. Why should we have hope? He says, because the Father is good. Like, this is, this is good news. So let's read the next few verses here. Matthew 7, 7 through uh, 12. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, would give him a stone? Or if, or if he asks for a fish, would give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do unto others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. The golden rule, Jesus is basically saying, man, if you were here last week, like, stop bending reality towards yourself and start, start using who you are, one made in God's image, you are love. Start, start being love to other people, not using all other people to love yourself. And so God is basically, or Jesus is saying here, um, Jesus is saying here, like, what you should do is, you know how you like to be treated? You should treat other people like that. I mean, it's like the simplest thing ever. That's why it's called the golden rule, because we all get it immediately. Like, oh, we should treat people how we would like to be treated. Um, it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful teaching. Um, and so, um, remember last week, if you have a pen, I'm gonna have you do another drawing today. I, if I was better at getting PowerPoints, this would all be solved, but draw a little pyramid. It doesn't have to be big, but draw just like a little triangle on your paper. And at the very tip top, uh, just kind of, shade in the very top, like the very top little piece. Um, so <laughs> this is kind of the, the wisdom of the world. This triangle represents the wisdom of the world. And it's kind of like, there's all these, if you, if you think of the triangle as being full of people, there's all these people in this pyramid, and they're all basically trying to get to the top, right? They're all trying to say, uh, like, because it, if your goal is to prove that you're the center of, of ultimate reality, then that means, if, if that's true of me, then that means you guys are not, right? Because I am. So all of a sudden, it's sort of me versus you. Does that make sense? So I start kind of trying to get my way to the top uh, and I, to, to kind of prove that we can defeat others. And maybe we don't think of it as defeating others, but we're trying to prove that we get it, 
You know what I mean? And so we start to try to like angle our way up to the top and then we make it to the top and someone cuts us off. We gotta like fight even harder to get back up. Um, I wish I had time, but, but uh, there's a, a, a great personality test, the Enneagram that points this out. It's like, here's the nine ways people try to like get to the top. And, and so it's like, you're always right. That's one way. You're always the most helpful and most needed person around. That's another way. You're always achieving and accomplishing and getting stuff done. That's another way. You're always doing something super meaningful and valuable. That's another way you get to the top. Um, You're always very careful and planned and prepared. That's another way. (laughs) You're always very faithful and you would never let anybody down. That's another way. Um, You have the most fun, right? You have the most exciting life. That's another way. You uh, are in charge. You're in control. That's another way. And the last way is you're carefree. None of it really matters to you. That's the other way, right? So it's this great way to think about this. One of those, or maybe a couple of them, kind of went, oh, man, yeah. And so we think of getting to the top as this, like, I'm smashing everyone else. But you could actually do that by being the most carefree person. You know what I mean? And so it's the wisdom of the world of, like, for me to kind of prove that I'm the ultimate person, I got to get to the top. What's amazing is if you draw that same pyramid upside down and color in the bottom, this is the wisdom of the Father. He's not trying to go up, he's trying to go down. He's coming down, like he's coming down to us. And he's saying, I'll actually be the source of your life so that you can go. Like instead of this like real life is up at the top and if we could just get there, he's saying like, no, actually I'm gonna flip my way as the exact opposite of the wisdom of this world I am the source of life, and I'm actually down here at the bottom. And everything that has life, everything that has truth, everything that has value is actually coming out of me. It's like like the father is this good father. He's giving, he wouldn't give the person a snake. He's like the soil in which all life grows. Um, I was watching some show, and there was a scene of these two people like having this like, you know, this, this deep kind of, they're in love, gazing at each other in the eyes. And, and then the woman says to the man, I want you to leave your, your wife. And I'm like, oh, apparently this is an affair. Um, and then he goes, yes, I'll do it. What else could I do? I love you. And I was like, is this, what is going on in the show? It's like, it's like, what else could I do? Like love is the ultimate thing, right? And it's like, I don't think either of you understand love. You know what I mean? Like, I'm pretty sure both of you are missing this. And, and you kind of want to say to the guy, did you say the same thing to your current wife at some point? You know, Or say to the lady, do you realize that the person who's saying this to you, like, do you expect him to maybe treat you like this down the road? You know what I mean? Like, it's this really frustrating thing. And yet in the show, it's like, these are the main, these are the people who understand love, you know? And it's like, oh man, what a disaster. Is it, it gets so tiresome, right? Like, it's, um, it's this idea like self-centeredness, it's so ugly, you know? It's so destructive, it's so problematic. Um, and, and it's this idea that, you know, God, he's not bending reality, he actually is reality, you know? Like, like he actually is the person, he's the creator of heaven and earth, he's the one that defines love, he actually is love. So everyone else saying like, oh, well, you know, just let people be who they are because love is the ultimate thing and it's like, you don't know what love is. Like, God is love. Like, come to the source of life. Um, Jeremiah 12.12 12 says, 
speaking prophetically and kind of condemningly to Israel. He says, you are near God with your mouth, but you are far from God in your heart. Like you're saying the right words, but what you're doing is off, you know? Um, Paul says differently, uh, Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. This is Paul who actually sort of was getting everything right in a way, who kind of could claim, I get it. He was like the best Pharisee, you know? He's like the most devoted guy. And he's like, I'm actually done, like being the center, and I'm gonna go with, with Christ. And Jesus, Jesus says to the disciples to take up their cross daily, Luke 9. So the invitation here is to embed our lives in that soil of the Father, right? Like if our life is a seed, we have to embed it in there. Jesus says later in, in John 12, unless you as a seed are buried in the ground and die, you won't ever produce anything. Like there'll be no fruitfulness at all. But if you die, uh, you will produce 10, uh, what is it, 10, 50, or 100 fold like what you were originally. It's really quite an amazing thing. That's our invitation. What we learn next, if we look at the next couple of verses, 13 and 14, is that this idea of embedding our life in Christ, embedding our life with God, trusting God's ultimate perspective instead of ours is actually pretty unusual. So let's read these verses. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Um, I think Jesus is saying that, that you know, life, life is long, you know, it's a trajectory, it's a long, it's a long road, it's a long thing, but at some point there's a gate. And I think the gate is supposed to kind of represent um, the direction you're headed, you know? Like if you came to a, uh, if, you're, if you're hiking and you come to a sign and it's like, this lake is over here and this canyon is over here, it's like, it's kind of saying like very few people head to the canyon, right? Like everybody goes to the lake. And so he's saying, which, which, which sort of life are you trusting? And like, it's, it's actually very few people are actually kind of trusting in the life of this good father. Um, you know, Rebecca and I, uh, we replaced our furnace on Monday, one of the, like a really fun way to spend your, your dollars. Um, but we replaced our furnace on Monday and these guys show up at our house, they're taking the old furnace out, they're putting the new one in. While we were there, we decided to get like a heat pump, you know the heat pump? So it's like, it's like about the size of one of these like bigger squares on the floor, you know, like a blue square. It's pretty large. And so they're like, where do you want us to put it? Do you want us to put it in your front yard or in your backyard? And it was kind of, it's kind of this idea, we're gonna have this heat pump for a long time, <laughs> but like, where do we want it? And so in the backyard, it's like, look, the backyard is right on the other side of this wall. We're gonna run like three feet of line and we're done, you know? And it's flat out there. The front yard, we're gonna have to go a line up the side of your garage, all the way across the ceiling, all the way down around that window. You're gonna have to move your like pegboard where all your tools are on, drill a hole through. Then you're gonna have to chop this tree in half outside and, and level the ground and you could heat pump there if you want, I guess, right? Like that's the other spot you could do it. Well, well Rebecca and I, so we have this kind of decision, right? Like easy, flat, level, quick, cheap, versus like destroy the tree, complete hassle for everybody working there, they're annoyed. And um, 
but and like hope. Because Rebecca and I have this idea of like, man, we would love to expand our house right here so that we could host people in our home, you know? So it's like, do you go with the hope? Do you go with like, what benefits me right now, you know? And it was this funny thing where like, we, okay, I go out, I take the saw to this tree and I'm like, all right, you know, it's got like three main branches and you're just like sawing this huge branch off, you know, this it's probably been there for 30 years. Um, and so we, you know, you have to make these decisions. Jesus calls this repenting sort of, right? Like repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. He's like, turn and walk the right direction. Go through the right gate, plant yourself in the right soil. Uh, John, who calls himself the one that Jesus loved, which I always love that about John, he says in 1 John, he, he, he gives us another layer of significance to this. He says, 1 John 2, 28, and now, dear children, continue in him, so that, in other words, now you're on this journey, but continue, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does What is right has been born of him. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should actually be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Oswald Chambers calls this a new heredity. It's like we're being invited into like a new family, right? We're being reborn. All of these different metaphors that you you hear Jesus use and, and the disciples use, like, we're actually being reborn into a new family. We have a different source of life. We have a different way of, of interacting with this world. And you know, what, what's funny is, I think one of the hardest things for me with this, in terms of orienting, putting my, you know, letting myself go, is it, it's in this thing where sometimes I'm like, God, why, did, why would you let me parent these kids, you know? You, you know that I'm not so good at it all the time, you know? Why would you let me come up and share with a group of people today? Why would you let, you know what I mean? It's kind of like this, even in the things God is doing good in my life, I have to actually let go of those things too. Because it's like, even in our blessings, we're not called to trust ourselves. (laughs) We're called even in our blessings to go, okay, this is where the Lord has me. I'll just keep growing in, in in his soil. Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. Okay, so some of us kind of get this. We're like, yeah, I don't really trust in myself. I got it. Like, I'm so, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We got it. We're in. Jesus warns us of another pitfall that um, a lot of us trust in ourselves, but a lot of us trust in other people instead, right? And so let's read this next piece. Verse 15, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And he will say to me on that day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Um, our job is to know Jesus, right? Our job is to be embedded in the Father. Our, our, our job is to be part of the family of God. Jesus says, I'm supposed to call you guys brothers and sisters, right? 
Why? Because, and supposed to call God my father, because we're part of God's family now. Um, this is the invitation. Uh, not making a family of people on here with the world's wisdom, but making a family with the people who are following God's wisdom. Um, I don't know if this is even true anymore, but uh, I know it was true at some point that banks, you heard the bank counterfeit money, how they train people? So when banks train tellers to find counterfeit dollars, what they do is they just have them count thousands of real dollars. That's the whole training. Like, here's, here's $20,000, count it, tell me exactly how much it is, and they're going through it, and it's all real, and then they have them count it again, and this time they slide something in there, and they're like, what? This, this is not, what is this, right? And it's like, we, sometimes we think our job is to find the flaw in everyone, and now we're back to judging others, right? Like, we've now somehow flipped back into the same problem. But the invitation is like, no, 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 no. Just like, your, your, your task is to keep your eyes on Jesus. Your task is to trust in this good, loving Father. Your task is, is to live your life as an offering to God. And when something comes along that isn't part of that, you will know, you know? It's actually kind of simple, like, like, you don't need to know every kind of counterfeit that exists in the world um, because in that process, you're actually taking your eyes off of God in a way. Do you, does that make sense? Our job is to know Jesus. And, and Jesus says, which is actually uh, pretty significant, he's like, that, that actually is what salvation is. It's knowing me. It's being with me. That's what salvation is. What's condemnation? Not knowing me. Not being with me. And there's an eternal level of that. Like as as because we're beings with souls and spirits, like we, we have an eternal path of either being with God and knowing him or not. And even people doing good in his name, he said, yeah, but I, I never knew that person. He wraps it up this way, verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the stream, streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on sand. The rain comes down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house and fell with a great crash. This is how Jesus ends the sermon. The next verse, when he was saying all these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as the teacher's of the law. <clears throat> so Jesus is saying, listen to me. He's like, whoever listens to these words of mine, he actually says it twice. These are my words. It's quite a, quite a claim, right? He, he either sort of is crazy or, he, or he's really claiming this. And um, this is the invitation for us. Um, every, every commercial is kind of a holy grail, you know? Every, every product on the market is a bit of a philosopher's stone. Every vacation you want to take is kind of that fountain of youth. <laughs> every teacher, every politician, every book, every film, every, all these different things, they're kind of the cold, cold fusion of the future. Vote for me, you know? And the rent and S curves will be straightened out and, you know, whatever. Um, and I think Jesus is saying, this is Jesus' offer. Whoever trusts these words of mine, whoever trusts in me, He's calling us into relationship with him. And the thing I love about this is, <clears throat> the thing with magic is it's always kind of an illusion. It's an illusion, right? 
it's not magic, it's an illusion, right? These are illusions. And, and um, at the end of the day, they're just kind of all flimsy things. And Jesus is calling us into something incredibly solid. You know, what if, what if the creation is good? What if the life God give a, gave us is a gift? Jesus seems to think so. He, he kind of seems to think there's no trickery needed. There's no shortcut needed, right? The, the, our life itself is a gift. And then as we start living it, we start seeing all these blessings. This morning, um, Josie, Zeb, and I ate these little orange tomatoes that grew in our backyard, you know? <laughs> like, they grew there. We watered them a little bit, and I guess we planted them at some point. But man, we're just like partaking in these benefits. We haven't really done much, you know? There's no trickery needed. So God is basically saying, man, would you walk through this life with me? That's actually why I made all this stuff, <laughs> right? Like God already has community in the Trinity, but he makes creation and he wants to walk with Adam and Eve in the garden. And he wants to walk with Israel and he wants to walk with the disciples and he wants to walk with his church and he sends his Holy Spirit to be with us. And he's like, this is the invitation. It's an invitation to walk with me and find joy, find peace, find love, find these fruits of the spirit that are so elusive to a world that is trying to take a shortcut all the time. Take the narrow path. Don't judge, you're not that good. <laughs> Trust the Father, he is good. Don't listen to false people, they're not the source of truth, they're not the source of life. Listen to Jesus, he is the truth, he is the life, he is the way. Jesus had just said before this, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all this other stuff that is on your heart, it'll be added to you as well, but it'll be added to you in his way and in the right way and in a pure way. <clears throat> so last thought, and then we can take communion. And Was Jesus a magician? It's an interesting thought. 37 miracles, walking on water. I saw a guy do that, Andre Crouch. He walked on water, I saw it. Uh, he was a magician. Um, he made it very clear that it was an illusion, right? But it's like, is, did Jesus do that? I mean, are we really kind of following this big magician ultimately? And here's what I love about recounting what Jesus does. <clears throat> he's always straightening out his purposes, right? He's not saying like, look at this, I have one coin, now I have two. And like getting, a, getting an applause from the crowd. He's kind of leaving the crowd and he's finding the person who's lost their way and he's helping them get back on track with God's purpose, help get back on track with God's design. And so it's like, this person can't walk. Man, Jesus has something to say about that. Like, like I, I want you to have life to the full, you know? This person can't see, like figuratively or, or actually. <laughs> Jesus cares about that because this is not part of his design. This is not part of his kingdom. He wants things to move in this, this way. He wants, he has this long trajectory this long thing that, that, that is his creation. And he has a purpose for it. And so his, he doesn't fall for the enemy's trap. This, uh, to me, this is how I know he's not a magician. He doesn't fall for the enemy's trap. He doesn't misuse his power for things that get him prestige. When he dies, he's basically alone. And there's a couple of ladies who came, and I think his mom, you know? But if his goal was to be a magician, he kind of blew it. <laughs> Like, he did not draw the, he didn't get the big crowds. 
he didn't like take over Rome. He, he didn't like get control of, of, of the temples and like be the greatest religious like mega church person ever. Like he just kept serving. He said, I didn't come here to be served. I came here to serve. And then sort of this ultimate thing, the resurrection, it's like the ultimate strengthen, a straightening of the path. Like the main thing that's actually broken is that people have forgotten to trust me. And I'm gonna straighten this out kind of the hard way. <laughs> and it is miraculous, but it's also just kind of like his plan. It's also kind of his purpose all along. And so he straightens it out. He gets things back on track. And he invites us into this life-giving relationship with the Father and with him. Because he is the visible version of the invisible Father. And that's our invitation. That's our invitation this morning. Um, you guys, you, you get to participate in this. I love that. Uh, it's been so fun to be with you guys for these last few weeks. Thank you. The, what I love is I love that you do communion every week because it's the constant invitation, right? It's a constant invitation. Like, well, you've gone through the gate, but there's a perseverance to that, right? Like, okay, Lord, I, I went through the gate, but man, I've really kind of taken this part of my life back. Okay, I'm giving it back to you again. Like, I'm trusting in you again. Like, I'm, I'm gonna avoid magic now and, and, and step into reality. Um, uh, one of Ravi Zacharias's uh, he, there's a guy out here who's part of his team and he speaks at the UW a lot and does these debates and stuff. And he said something really profound. Pe someone said something about, oh, you just have this blind faith, you know? And he said, well, do you have blind doubt? Right? <laughs> he was like, do, do you think that constantly doubting is, is also the truth? Or is there something here that's just true? Is there something here that's just real? Is there something here that is just the reality of what God has made? So today, it, maybe you have a blind faith and you need to center it on the person of Jesus. Maybe you have blind doubt and you're just kind of constantly rejecting, but that's really a way to protect you as the center of truth. Let it go. The invitation this morning is to come to participate in Jesus. This, is his, this represents his body. This represents his blood. This represents his invitation to participate with him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for, wow, for, for an amazing invitation. Lord, you have invited us into the life of the Godhead, the Father, Son, Spirit. We, we, we are invited to set down things that are just false. You've invited us to set down our idols. We laugh about these old idols and how could someone carve something and worship it? And yet we do it every day. Lord, would you help us to set those things down? Would you help us to eat and drink and receive our life from you. We love you. We pray in your name. Amen.